Welcome to Equus Farm Calls, where we take horse owners along with us to discuss important topics on equine health and care with industry experts. Today, we're talking to Dr. Ann Reshmir about equine skin problems. Equus Farm Calls is brought to you in 2022 by Farnham, the makers of cough-free supplement. Spring is here and you're ready to go riding, but is your horse? When a cough gets in the way of your horse's health or performance, turn to cough-free respiratory health pellets. Now available in easy-to-feed pellets, its unique formula contains a blend of show-safe natural herbs and minerals to provide respiratory support when your horse is experiencing seasonal allergies or stable cough caused by environmental stress or irritants. Perfect for horses that are stable or horses with restricted turnout to maintain healthy airways. Don't let pollens, dust, or other environmental pollutants sideline your horse. Tackle that cough with cough-free equine respiratory health pellets and get back in the saddle. I'm Kim Brown, group publisher of Equine Health Network. Dr. Eshmere, who is self-employed in the Washington, D.C. area, is a board-certified surgeon. She has an interest in dermatology, and her research has included heritable equine regional dermal asthenia, which most of us know as HERDA. Included in her job history is 10 and a half years as an associate professor in large animal clinical sciences at the Michigan State University College of Veterinary Medicine and as the current equine program manager of the Western Veterinary Conference, a title she's held for more than eight years. Thank you, Dr. Reshmir, for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls to talk about equine skin problems. Thank you so much, Kim. It's really good to be here. Well, I'm going to start with a very general question because, you know, as a horse owner, how can we better help our horse's skin? Great question. Great question. Thank you so much. So, look, one of the things we want to do is we want to take good care of the skin so that when the skin is challenged, that the the horse's skin is able to actually maintain, um, you know, health throughout challenges, right? So, how do we do that? Well, we know that most of the allergens that horses will um, be exposed to, the things that can cause them to itch, you know, we're coming into that time of the year, right? Things that can cause them to itch and get hives. Most of those allergens come straight through the skin. And so maintain that skin and that skin barrier, which is basically uh, some fatty acids right in that outer layer of skin. I'm not talking about the sub-Q where we can store fat, but in that outer, very most outer layer of the skin, um, we really need to maintain that fatty layer. And we can do that uh, um, several different ways. One way we, we do it is when we clean the horse's skin, and it, and it is important to clean because you can get rid of the, the basically both the things that cause allergic reactions, the allergens, and you can actually get rid of um, bacteria that might build up, right? So when we clean the skin, we, we hose, hose in cold water, always good. Um, you know, people get a little bit worried, I think, sometimes with the weather in certain parts of the country, but cool water is, is for the most part, better, particularly if we're talking about allergic horses. I don't know if you've ever stepped out of the shower and noticed you were pink you know, when you got out of a hot shower, but that's actually, that vasodilation is part from histamine release. And that's the reason we take antihistamines is to minimize that when we're each year having allergic reactions, right? So cool water, certainly better than warm water for bathing. The other thing, if we're going to actually do a little bit more than just hosing the horse off, we're going to use some form of shampoo. It's important to use a shampoo that's really made for horses. Um, their pH of their skin is a little different um, than some of the other products that you might be using. Um, and then not get too aggressive when we cleanse. Uh, I was at the racetrack uh, not that long ago, and 
you know, they're still using Dawn dishwashing detergent because they think that they can really clean the skin and, you know, it would be less likely to have problems with things like ringworm. Well, as it turns out, that type of detergent on the skin strips that outer fatty layer and it makes them more susceptible to the ringworms and more susceptible to allergens. So good quality shampoo, very important. Diet, boy, you know, we can do a lot with diet. Um, we'll probably talk about that in a minute. Uh, things like rain rot, you know, it, it can actually be, be partly diet. And horses are actually having more problems with it. Uh, with, with ring rot or dermatophilus, um, it can be partly diet related, and that's been shown. Um, other things we can do for maintenance, for particularly the allergic horses, feeding fresh ground flax is a great way to help. There are some products um, that are on the market too that are stabilized flax. I do like stabilized flax if it's dated, but even stabilized flax will go bad. I don't recommend any of the uh, flax oils. Quite honestly, they just don't last long enough, but in the uh, form that we want them to be in when the horse eats it. So fresh ground flax, you know, up to a pound a day per horse. Uh, and certainly the horses are having bad problems with fly bite, hypersensitivity or, or insect bites. Um, they will really benefit from it. And any horse that has some um, inflammatory things with their skin. The other thing too, you know, we have a lot of problems um, in some parts of the year where exposure to insects is significant and so fly sheets you know i do believe that people worry about the horse sweating in the fly sheet but i promise the horse would much rather be sweating um and look particularly if you have a dark horse that fly sheet if you get a light one it's going to be less hot for the horse right just the way it works so a, a fly sheet can really help they make impregnated fly sheets that actually have the um, ability to help keep the flies from biting um, even through the sheet. They, they repellent in them, like what they use for Desert Storm, keeping the sand fleas off our military people. Um, and so fly sheets always good, fly masks. For the poor horses that have you know, issues in their ears, the papillomas and all that, the, the best thing for those absolutely is prevention. Keep the flies off, they'll keep the virus from being transmitted, and it'll minimize the amount of papillomas you'll have in the ears, and, and actually probably squamous cell carcinomas that, that can become secondary to that. So just on a good quality maintenance, of course, maintaining your farm, maintaining um, you know, your, your water tanks and things like that, so we're not breeding the insects that are feeding on our horses. Great tips. I mean, some of those I, I need to go back and remind myself. I do love the fly sheets, though. I mean, it's it, it always seemed uh, counterintuitive. And I think it was one of your talks you had given at AAP years ago. And you're like, said pretty much the same thing. Look, they would rather not be bitten and get a little bit of material on them. So, you know, it's cool. Yeah. And it does. If you put white on, it's like you wearing white clothes. Um, you know, you will actually deflect some of those um, things are going to heat you up. For some reason, it'll heat you up. So it, it really can help all the way around. Um, and for, as far as skin maintenance, it's the way to go. And the fly sheets are so much better even now than they were. Um, you know, some of them are actually sustainably made, you know, and good for the environment uh, compared to what we used to do. So it, if you can minimize the amount of biting, uh, that just minimizes the inflammation. The other thing, too, that while we're on the subject of itchiness and all, um, I actually want to bring up a point that, I think is is um, something we should really think about. 
in my opinion, horses that actually itch their mane out or itch their tail out, you know, the ones that are really happy, right? Look, in my mind, that's an animal welfare issue. I've looked clients in the eye, they brought their horse in maybe for a lameness exam or something. And I look in my eye and I ask about the mane or tail rubbing. And, you know, oh, they do that every year. And I, and I sort of think, well, can you imagine being so itchy? You could rub your own hair out. Can you imagine being that itchy? Because that's what that horse is. And so uh, I'm sure that they don't want to be rubbing their mane or tail out, right? So things we can do to control that. And we also know that, you know, as the years go on, horses usually become more itchy. Allergies get worse with age in, in horses in most species. And so, you know, if it's being a problem now, it's something you're going to have to address eventually. Why not start now before the horse starts having some scarring from all that itching or potentially gets itself into trouble? You know, it wouldn't be the first horse that was really itchy and then having to find a nail in the, the barn wood. And, um, you know, then you're out a significant vet bill. And sometimes, you know, sometimes those things can become tragic. You know, they're, they're down and itching, they get casts or whatever. They, so just some thoughts. Yeah. And, and as I mean, we were chatting before we started the podcast recording. I mean, there are so many different formulations to reduce the number of flies on your property or to keep the flies and mosquitoes off your animal. I mean, I've, I had I've had two horses that were very susceptible and I used a lot of different uh, types of things before I settled on, you know, a, a product that I like. And I know. Farnham is our sponsor, and it, this is this is not something they even know I'm going to say, but Endure is kind of where I settled on back in Kentucky because of the types of flies and, and mosquitoes I was fighting. No doubt there is a huge difference in quality between the different fly products. The, 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 um, there, there's a huge difference. You know, we want the ones that are the long-acting um, the citronella-based ones, look, it reminds me of my childhood, no doubt, but not going to really help. Now, they can be scented with it, but you really need those um, those products that actually have, like the cupirobutoxide and um, the advanced pyrethrins. I mean, you really need the long-acting sprays, and there are several really good quality ones, um, and definitely worth the money. And they're going to be at the higher end, that's for sure. And I know that some people, you know, their horses may even be allergic to some of those products. So it's good we have the citronella or the naturals or some of the other products. Because, again, I've had to try a lot over the years with different horses. Yes. So you make really good points. So, you know, some horses really are sensitive to different things, right? Citronella generally is something that, um, oh, gosh, I... You know, I've had horses, I think, probably sensitive to that as well, you know, when we think about it. If you're looking for something um, that can help with, and the horse wouldn't, wouldn't be sensitive to it, there are natural fly repellents that actually do work. Um, there is something called EcoVet, E-C-O-V-E-T. It's a fatty, fat-based, actually, insect repellent. Of course, it smells a little different when you use it, but there's no insecticide in it. So... You can go to something like that. Um, you know, sometimes it's not the the actual repellent that is the problem. Sometimes, um, you know, it's not the pyrethros or cypermectin or piperomutoxin is the problem. Sometimes it's the carrier. And so you might find those ingredients, but with a different carrier, and then your horse is less sensitive. The other thing that I've seen over, over the years is people trying DEET on their horses. And uh, quite a few horses are actually sensitive to DEET. You know, we wonder, well, it's sensitive to mosquitoes. Why don't I spray it with DEET? That's what I'm using on myself. But as it turns out, um, sometimes 
the horse gets so inflamed from the deed and people keep putting it on because they think it's the mosquitoes. Sometimes it's the deed that's actually causing the skin irritation and not the mosquitoes. So I caution you um, in, in that regard anyway. Yeah, so I, I think back to your point of good quality, find something that works for you because there's a lot of different things out there. And so everyone's situation and horse are a little different. Yes. There also are the feed-through larvicides. Feed-through products. Um, I, I actually also, um, I, I love the... Um, you know, I love the, the um, predator wasps as something that you can use in addition for the horses that are out on pasture. You know, maybe the retired horses that you're not going to be spraying down every day. Um, and look, the long acting fly sprays, it's not you're not going to put it on once a week. I can tell you that um, frequently we use those twice a day and horses are very sensitive. Um, but the um, the other things that I think are good for the horses that are on pasture and you're not really um, putting your hands on twice a day would be the ones that are the topicals. Uh, I know Fornum makes uh, um, Equispot, and that does work uh, usually up to a month. And it depends a little bit on, you know, the challenges in your area, the sunlight, you know, how much rain you're getting and that sort of thing. But I have used that product uh, with good success. There have been reports of horses losing their hair where you put it on but i learned from a, a really good small dermatologist about using a little bit of vitamin e first so put a little bit you can even get vitamin e capsules and pierce them and smear it down the horse and then put that that long acting uh, spot on top of it and that really does a lot to minimize problems with hair loss and and they sometimes the horse will actually not be really happy they get a little a sensation difference area and that seems to take care of that as well um, I've used that a lot on some of my older horses that you just want, you know, you go out and see them every day, but maybe once a week you, you spot them. And I find it always works so good. Yeah, no, it's true. And then the other thing, too, you know, if they're particularly the allergic horses, um, if you just bathe them, we do know that, like, like we talked about before, that the allergens are transcutaneous. They go through the skin. So if you can get the fly saliva off and the mosquito saliva and all that sort of stuff off, by just bathing even once a week, it can truly help those horses. Now, don't bathe them and then, or sorry, don't, don't bathe them right after you put up the long-acting um, fly, uh, like the Equispot on, on it. So, you know, wait, the, I think it's a 24-hour period, depending on some of them might be 48. But... Um, the time would be to, to bathe them, maybe put your vitamin E on it and put that on and then throw them back out of pasture until the next time you bring them up. So I think that can really make a lot more horses a lot more comfortable. Well, and and those are, I mean, I could talk about this all day because all every horse owner has this to deal with. But I want to go on and pick your brain a little bit about like tumors and infectious things. Right. It's because the bumps and lumps scare us as horse owners. And as they should, honestly, as they should. So look, you know, um, I'm actually, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm the um, co-chair of the equine sarcoid consensus statement. And so we're working on some guidelines for treatment of sarcoids, which are um, the most common tumors in horses worldwide. And, you know, I, I'm from the era uh, that um, we used to talk a lot about watching them. If they were small, we would watch and just, you know, if they started to grow, we would do something. And as it turns out, you know, fast forward 30 years, and as it turns out, we know for sure, for definitively, that um, the smaller sarcoids are more likely to be uh, more responsive to treatment. And so when you think about this, put this in, in terms of like human medicine. So if you walked into your dermatologist or your general practitioner and you, you showed them a spot and you said, oh, yeah, that's a tumor. 
um, that's cancer, but we're just going to watch it. You'd probably go get yourself a new dermatologist or a general practitioner, right? And so the, the thought is now the same in horses with sarcoids. More likely to have good resolution of the tumors if you treat them while they are still small. And so that has been a change. The big things about it, once you do treat, you have to actually commit. So don't do your time of year when you're running crazy or you're showing everywhere. Commit to actually having the period of time. It depends on how your veterinarian is going to treat it for you. Um, but commit to actually making sure that that sarcoid is totally gone and the hair has grown back before you stop treatment. Because that's the reason why watching the sarcoid became favorable because people would do a little bit of treatment, not follow through. And that just caused those tumors to upregulate their oncogenes and then they would you know, basically get larger with a little bit of treatment. So treat when they're smaller, treat until they're totally gone and you'll have a much better outcome in the long run. That's, that's a great advice. And what about some of the infectious things that horses can spread to each other or get somewhere else? Great question. You know, while we're kind of transitioning to infectious, we probably ought to talk a little bit about pinworms because, you know, tail rubbers, right? Um, it doesn't always have to be fly bite. It can also be pinworms. And I think one of the things we really have to consider with pinworms is um, that they can get, they can reinfest a horse rapidly, very rapidly. So if you had a child that um, had pinworms from school, you know, a little kid, they would actually have you wash all the bedding. Um, they'd have you bathe the child and you know, then you, you get dewormed at the same time. And so if we think we can just give a dewormer to a horse and get rid of the pinworms, we're very much mistaken. They, they will come back. So what I would recommend is if you're going to go ahead and deworm, I normally have um, a little bit of mineral oil. I smear the underneath of the tail and the perineal area around the anus. Um, with mineral oil, even just a little bit, but it does it smothers the worms and then wash with a good, you know, gentle soap and water combination, get all the soap off. And that's going to keep those pinworms from coming back. That's definitely worthwhile. But while we're on the subject of other infectious agents, um, you know, probably the one that most of us deal with would be um, rain rot, right? Rain rot, really prevalent. Uh, and it's again, probably in some parts of the country, probably the right time of the year now. Um, we know things that are needed for rain rot are um, both warmth, okay, and that's sometimes that's just the horse's back, it doesn't even have to be warm outside, and moisture. The worst case of rain rot I think I've ever seen was a horse that got turned out in, in Montana in the winter, go out, run around like crazy, come back in, go in the stall. Um, and it, you know, after a couple of, of, I think even weeks of that, the horse actually was sick. And somebody finally took the blanket off and looked, and that horse had just rain rot because all that sweat and that warmth that accumulated, it just let that dermatophilus, which is actually a bacteria, um, go crazy. We always talk about fungus with, with rain rot, but it, it is actually bacteria. And so um, we know that um, keeping the skin clean is important as well there. But what we don't want to do is just keep wetting the skin, right? Because that's part of the problem, the moisture. So things to think about, good quality shampoo, um, some of the chlorhexidines that you can um, buy over the counter even um, will help with that. The other thing that's really important, probably more so than, than most of the diseases um, that we're going to talk about, the infectious ones, would be um, making sure the nutrition is appropriate. Yes. So horses that... Um, like there might be one horse in the herd that um, is having a problem, or there might be lots of your herd that's having a problem. 
If it's lots of the herd, I would tell you that you probably are missing some macro micronutrients. And it's so common these days to feed horses with less grain, right? Because we're all worried about making them too heavy. And, and look, that's good. Being too heavy is, is bad in any species. But the problem is when we don't feed so much grain, we need to substitute that with either a ration balancer or a vitamin mineral mix because the hay itself potentially not going to be enough for a lot of horses. The other thing when it's one horse on your property, and particularly if it's an older horse, you know, we need to think about things like Cushing's disease or PPID, something that's causing the horse's immune system to just not be as good as the others. Um, sometimes it's just immunosenescence, the horse is getting old, you know, we're talking about the late yeah. 20s and things like that. Um, but sometimes it's actually something a little bit more. The other uh, point to consider is the older horses don't really absorb their nutrients as well. And you'll notice as your horse really gets on the age, you have to feed more. And so when you think about it, that might be the horse that could use a good vitamin and mineral supplement, well-balanced one with a, from a you know, big commercial company, which would work very well. So, yeah. um, so we, you know, clean the horse's skin, you use some sort of um, antibacterial shampoo or even the chlorhexane you can buy over the counter at like Walgreens or one of those, get it dry and then think about the nutrition of the horse. Think about these other things. Again, if you do turn the horse out, a lot of times the dermatophilus or rain rod isn't just on the back of the horse. It can also be in the pasterns and that's because they're walking in moist, you know, moist grasses and all in the pasture. And so Look, we can try our best to turn the horse out after the dew point, right, when it's, things have dried up a bit. But that's really quite helpful, but not always possible, right? So these other things that we've talked about, like the dietary management, sometimes those horses also will benefit from some flax. The problem with the, the dermatophilus is it's very opportunistic, right? It loves moisture and, and um, warmth. But what it does is it breaks down the skin barrier even more so than than just moisture, and that allows every other bacteria and fungus to come in, right? So we want to stop the dermatophilus early before it allows, you know, the E. coli's and the staphs and the streps to take hold, because that's when we get more profound pastor dermatitis and even cellulitis, which can make the horse very sick. What about, and I'm not going to say this right, phthiosis? Right. Um, thanks for asking. I know we, we had some mention of this. So pithiosis used to be known as Florida horse leeches, um, but it, and it's a disease that's sort of like a um, fungal-like organism is what it's called, and uh, it's associated with moisture. So we're back in the moisture um, issue. It used to be very much limited to the south, warm weather and moisture, but as horses continue to move, they bring things with them, right? And yeah. there are now cases of pithiosis reported in New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Indiana, Washington State. So it is something to be concerned with. And the reason that we should be concerned is it's just a little bit unusual. It's one of the first times I really have thought about a dermatological disease in a horse as being an emergency. So here's the thing. Um, the pythiotin gets usually in through a cut. And if the horse is, has access to a pond, it's anywhere they would step in the pond water. Um, so on their feet, sometimes up to their bellies, sometimes around their muzzles because they're in it. Have had horses that did not have access to the pond, but it was just a very, very wet year. And those are the ones like in the Indiana, um, in New Jersey and all. And so 
they're grazing frequently and they get it there. But the difference is you'll see a lesion and it might look a little bit like granulation tissue, kind of a moist granulation tissue, like when a horse is healing a wound, but they are extremely itchy. That's kind of the key. Oh. So these lesions expand fairly quickly. They get bigger instead of smaller despite treatment. And the horse is just so itchy. Sometimes they'll actually self-mutilate depending on where the lesion is um, by either rubbing or biting at it because it's that itchy. And it really needs to be treated really quickly by a veterinarian that recognizes it. Um, and so just a thought, look, it, it may never happen in your lifetime, depending on where you live. But if you ever see a horse with kind of an odd looking granulation tissue, very moist, and um, these lesions of pithiosis actually also have um, what we call conquerors, like little firm um, um, solid uh, pieces inside them that can kind of squish out. So if you ever see that and the horse in a way itchy, expanding granulation tissue, that's a time to really think seriously about pithiosis because it's not just limited to the south anymore. Well, that's a great tip, Dr. Rashmir. Thank you. And if I know we could go on talking about each one of these in detail for hours and hours. And I know as a, as a horse owner, I've faced some of these things over the years. But is there anything else just in general that we should mention uh, while we're talking about skin issues and horses? You know, there are some kind of cool things for those of you that have horses with feathers uh, and you're worried about mites, you know, big band of horses with feathers. We do actually um, we sort of change the way we treat those, I think. Epinomectrin, um, which is a topical actually used for cattle, but you don't actually put it on the horse's legs. You actually put it um, on the top or part of the horse. It actually does a great job with with mites, any any sort of mites in the horse. So I think that's a big plus and so much easier to treat than what we used to do. Okay, just a reminder. Oh, I do have one other thing that I think might be worthwhile mentioning. Some of you might be seeing some of your horses have some hair loss around their face. And frequently what that is, is something called Onkocerca. And the reason that we're starting to see more and more of that is that we've done a really good job of changing the way we deworm. So how does that affect anything? So when we used to deworm, I was, I was going to say too much. Um, you know, people would deworm the horse every eight weeks or every six weeks, regardless if they need it or not. And we've changed to actually deworming when um, the horse actually needs it because it's actually better for the horse and better for the environment. And you're less likely to create resistance in the parasites within the horse. So when we do that, we actually can let onchocerciasis become more of a problem. So if you start to see a little bit of hair loss around your horse's face, frequently it's around the eyes, but anywhere on the face, um, and it's not from something you're topically applying. Some horses, you know, are allergic to baby oil or, or have problems with that, but it's not from that. You might think about onchocerciasis, it might be worth a deworming because the parasite actually lives in, in the horse's ligamentum nuke, which holds the head up, that big ligament that holds the head up. And um, that's where the adults live. And they make these little microflaria, little teeny, like, wormy things that swim around the horse's skin. And so when they get a high enough concentration of those in the skin, they start to have some hair loss. And in severe cases, I haven't seen a severe case in, I don't know, 20 years, because people do deworm usually pretty well. In severe cases can be all over the horse. But in the very, some of the very first signs are just hair loss around the face. And so that may be something to be worthwhile uh, a deworming or at least a chat with your veterinarian about. Well, that's a good point, because I, again, I haven't heard about that for years. It used to be, used to, you would see that a lot in the old farm horses around. Yeah, going up. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dr. Ashmere, as always, I think I learn something every time that we talk. So thank you very much for joining us on the Equus Farm Calls today. And 
favorite. You're my absolute favorite. Thank you for asking me. We have so much fun on this. I'm glad you guys aren't around for all the discussions that we have before and after these because it would go on for hours. But um, we also want to make sure and thank uh, Farnham for bringing you all this great information today. And if you have any suggestions or comments, feel free to contact me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Equus Farm Calls is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, which is an entity of Equine Network, LLC. 